What's up, guys? This is Michael Bohm. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Islam again. Is Islam a religion of peace? Uh, is jihad uh, something that is more of a spiritual struggle? Or is it something that uh, to a Muslim who is a fundamentalist, a Muslim who follows his uh, scriptures, the Quran and the Hadith, is it or does it involve the taking of lives, of unbelievers' lives, and uh, subjecting unbelievers to a brutally suppressive tax, the jizya, uh, and humiliation? These types of things. Well, today we're going to have Dr. Robert Morey back. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. I've got Dr. Robert Morey back on the line. And yeah, we're going to be talking about Islam again. Last time I said we were going to be talking about is it a religion of peace? And we already started kind of breaking the surface on that. Today, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. And Dr. Morey is going to reveal some things about Islam that are a little disturbing. Now, yes, I know, we all know some people who are Muslims, who are nice and friendly, and uh, they, they don't, I mean, it doesn't seem as if uh, uh, they're like this at all. And, well, there's two things to consider. Many Muslims are more of the liberal type. We all know liberal Christians, okay? They claim to be Christians with their mouth and they have no idea what their holy book is supposed to be teaching. There's many Muslims that are out there that are like that. They, they've never even read the Quran and if they have, they hardly know anything about it, okay? They exist. They're out there. Many of us know them. But then, on the other hand, there's many more Muslims who are practicing something that we're going to talk about today, uh, referred to as taqiyah, which is, it's, it's deception. It is befriending the enemy, the unbeliever, until you have the upper hand. Uh, and so we'll be talking about a little, talking about that a little bit later. But anyway, let's dive in. Dr. Mori, welcome back to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Well, it's my thrill because, you know, the youth are the future of the church. And as I travel the world into 44 countries so far, I love to train young warriors for Christ, men and women sold out to Jesus who will not compromise, will not retreat, will not give up, will not be bought out. They will not be cowards, but they will speak the truth in love even as Paul said that I might have the courage to speak the truth in love. And it's my pleasure to be with you. Amen. Right on. Um, so, so this week we're going to be talking about jihad. And so uh, to start off, Dr. Mori, what is jihad and how is it applied in the lives of Muslims? Well, you need to back up a little bit and you ask the question, how do you research 
the meaning of a word. Good now, question. Every high school student knows it. Every college student, you go on down to to the library, the library, the public library, the university library, the college. You go down to the library, and the very first thing you do, Michael, is you go over uh, to your English dictionaries, such as uh, Webster's, even if you want to get the large Oxford Dictionary of the English Language. First thing you do, don't you go get a dictionary and find out what the word means in English? When you do that to do a term, yeah, then... Then you waddle over to the Encyclopedia section. Well, let's look at the Encyclopedia Britannica, Collins Encyclopedia. Uh, look, let's look at all these. And the general reference works would be dictionaries, uh, lexicons, encyclopedias. And as you gather that material, it tells you that jihad originally meant holy war against non-Muslims. And then, as it developed through the centuries, it was understood to be the jihad, the war first of the tongue, that is, Muslims are told to spread uh, the teachings of Muhammad, and uh, by the tongue, and then by the life, and then by sacrifice, that is, if you don't eat some ribs, and you don't drink any alcohol, that's a form of jihadism if you practice it and tell people. But there was always what is called the jihad of the sword. That is, one of the aspects of jihad is murdering people because they disagree with your religious ideas. Now, I document uh, in my uh, wonderful video on jihad and in one of my little books and then particularly uh, in a larger work entitled how to win the war against radical Islam, that I show you what the dictionaries say, what the encyclopedias say. Now, the, the second thing you do in the public library, you go over not to general reference works, but to specific reference works that have to do with Islam. So you go on over, oh, well, here's the dictionary of Islam. Whoa, there's the Encyclopedia of Islam. Oh, here's a book entitled Definitions of Islamic Terminology and Words. So now you're looking at encyclopedias, dictionaries, specifically uh, written by Muslims or by Middle Eastern scholars from Oxford and Cambridge, a university of Leiden in Holland, Harvard, uh, Yale, Princeton. And then once you gather the information from the specific reference material, you end up with the same thing that Muhammad taught Muslims to attack, rob, rape, enslave, and murder non-Muslims and to force other people to either accept Islam or to submit to a tax for being a non-Muslim, and to accept that they must become a second-class citizens. For example, in the Ottoman Empire, no non-Muslim may ride a horse in the presence of Muslims who are walking. Only Muslims can ride a horse. 
So if you were a non-Muslim, you would be pulled out of the saddle and punished. How dare you ride while Muslims walk? Well, then the next thing you're going to do, because you're looking at uh, reference works, right? Mm -hmm. You you go in the card catalog, open up the computer, and you want to search any books specifically on jihad. Wow, shazam, golly, there they are. And you see books translated from the Arabic by the largest university in the world in Cairo, Egypt, a Muslim university, uh, Hmm. universities in Islamabad and Karachi and Saudi Arabia. And you read what the Muslim scholars say, and they say that Moses, uh, that Muhammad taught Muslims to attack, to rob, to rape, to enslave, and even murder non-Muslims as one of the forms of jihad. Now, having done that, you happen to turn on the television and you have uh, the politically correct mainline media. And it says, what is jihad? Well, we're asking uh, a, a Muslim student uh, from the local high school, and she appears, and she has her little head covering on, her shador, and she said, uh, uh, jihad means peace and love. Jihad means uh, community work and reaching out to people. And it's a wonderful thing. It has nothing to do with hurting people and killing people. And that's not Islam. Uh, jihad is is uh, just giving love. And then they go to the local, the local Muslim mosque, and the imam or the mullah comes out. He said, oh, jihad is a good thing. It means reaching out and love and compassion and means food banks and everything else. And you think, how come the reporter didn't even bother to pick up an English dictionary. They didn't even open an encyclopedia. Now, as a, I taught high school and university. And if someone's student would have said jihad is peace and love, and we all sing kumbaya together, uh, and Michael rode, uh, uh, you know, a boat, um, I would have given them an F. And I would have written down you didn't bother to document your view. So what we have today is propaganda from Muslims, from care, uh, from Muslim sympathizers, and low-information media people, school teachers. Uh, they have been told that uh, jihad has nothing to do with killing people. Now, of course, if you ask the terrorists, the ones who blew up the World Trade Center, the ones who beheaded people uh, there in Syria, who shot people dead uh, in California, who exploded bombs during the Boston Marathon. They would say jihad means killing people, raping people, robbing people. I don't know if you read the details of... uh, one of the attacks that Muslims made on a plane, but they were unsuccessful, that when it looked like that this Muslim was going to be overcome, um, some Marines did semper fi and they rushed him, 
he immediately said to a woman, give me that necklace. I must steal it in order for my jihad to be correct. Well, uh, to rob, enslave, rape, murder non-Muslims is historically not only what Muhammad taught, as according to the Hadith and the Quran, but what he practiced himself. He himself went out in 21 jihads. In one case, he failed uh, at the Battle of Ehud. He was hit in the face with the sword and almost died. To his dying day, he had a huge scar that came down his face. His eye almost got dug out. And <sighs> he went forth and he attacked, robbed, raped, enslaved, and murdered non-Muslims. Now, when I confront Muslim scholars with the fact that in the Quran and in the Hadith, Muhammad said over 33 thousand times to kill the infidels. Wow. Now, computers are a wonderful thing. So some very bright people, knowing that the Quran and the Hadith, particularly uh, Sahih al-Bukhari, nine volumes, 6,000 pages, are, are downloaded into computer. They simply told the computer to count how many times Muslims are told to kill unbelievers over 33,000 times. Now, mm. m most of the modern translations of the Quran have been whitewashed. That is, even though the Arabic word is kill, they, in the translation, you will read, fight the unbelievers. It says kill them, not fight. Right. And and fight and, can mean a whole lot of things. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah it could just mean propaganda, get up and do a play patty cake or whatever. Kill debate. them. <laughs> That's <laughs> what he said. And, of course, um, they would like very much for you not to point this out, that it's shoddy research. They didn't even bother to open up an English dictionary or the Encyclopedia of Islam, and once you confront them that they violate Muhammad's example, Muhammad's teaching, the Quran, the Hadith, the official biographers who were Muslim scholars, um, the greatest of the Muslims, such, such as Manduti, uh, commentaries on the Quran, uh, they don't want to talk about it anymore. So the Christian needs this kind of information, and that's why I took the time uh, to go through all of these things, and you will find in my book where you have English dictionaries and psychology. In other words, why is Islam exempt from the normal research that you have on any issue? And it should not be exempt whatsoever. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I would say one part political correctness and another part fear, because they they threaten the lives of those who who question their their motives, their faith, the teachings of Muhammad. And, and speaking of the teachings of Muhammad, what I'm understanding here is that 
um, this jihad of the sword is absolutely consistent with how Muhammad lived out his life. Okay, so when someone says that they are, um, you know, the, these these terrorists are extremists, that's actually hiding the truth. That's misleading because they're not extremists. They're fundamentalists. They're following the faith as taught by Muhammad in both the Quran and the Hadith. Um, it, it, it's it, it's it, it, it's disturbing to say the least well, because when and, we look at this, they have two counter arguments that low information Christians are incapable of handling. Uh, the first. Uh, argument is that, oh, well, this refers to defense, uh, where Muhammad and the Muslims had to defend themselves. Well, what you point out, the first time jihad was done, it was against a caravan of merchants who simply had the misfortune to uh, take the trade route near where the Muslims were living. He said, go get them, rob them, kill them, and make them slaves. This was not being attacked. They were businessmen on a trip, a caravan. Now, the Encyclopedia Britannica even documents how that there was a need for money. Now, it's always traditional. If there are Jews living in your country, if you need money, go rob them. That's what the Nazis did. Ever hear of Kristallnacht, where they robbed the Jewish businesses? Well, what Muhammad did, it's in, it's in the Encyclopedia of Islam, it's Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, I documented over and over. They attacked a Jewish tribe, and they killed every man and every young man to a certain age by beheading them. And it's, it's gruesome. They cut their heads off and threw them in a ditch. Now, in this case... A Muhammad practice what is called ritual rape. When the Muslims conquered this tribe, they killed the chief and his sons, and then Muhammad raped the wife publicly in the public square in front of everybody. Ugh. Now, he liked what he was getting, so he forced her into his harem as a sex slave. Now, the Muslims claim that in revenge for the murder of her husband and son, she made a stew of poisoned lamb, and this killed Muhammad, and that's why all Jews must die. The Jews killed the prophet. The only problem, as I point out with research, Muhammad didn't die till two years after eating that lamb stew. Now, I don't know about you. If he had eaten a poisoned lamb stew, it certainly would have acted a little bit quicker than two years. But you see, uh, he would rape publicly uh, to humiliate her, and then he forced her into, and, and jihad means the enslavement of women in a harem where they are raped at will. And this is Ugh. Jihad. Uh, okay. A lighthearted subject. Um, so, obviously, when we listen to organizations like CARE, uh, what is that, the Council of um, 
Islamic relations. I'm missing the letter A. Council well, American. of American. American Islamic relations. Um, they'll give you a completely different story of what Islam looks like. It's a religion of peace. Uh, all this stuff is being done by terrorists. Is They're just extremists. They're not representing Islam correctly. But they might be practicing a particular doctrine called taqiyah. What is taqiyah? A taqiyah is where Allah gives you the right to lie if it furthers the interests of Islam. Uh, that's why, uh, remember how Abraham, Ibrahim, lied in saying his wife was his sister because he was scared of Pharaoh? Right. Remember that in the Bible? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He lied. Well, in the Quran, Allah told Abraham to lie. Now, the biblical God is the God of truth. God doesn't tell people to lie. As a matter of fact, he says, do not lie, but seek the truth. Now, yeah. but Allah, uh, in Surah 5, there are many deceivers, makir in Arabic, who have entered into the world, but the greatest deceiver of them all is Allah. The greatest of the crooks, conmans, swindlers, <laughs> liars. Allah is the greatest deceiver in the world. Al-Bakr. Yes, and say, how can that the same person, a low-information Christian, and I've debated them on the radio, there's tons of them, the guy who wrote Peace Child and all these other people, and you've got uh, Rick Warren, you've got all the oh, right. people. And see, they are low-information people. They don't know what they're talking about because they never researched it. They just speak from their personal opinion, and that's why they bring the little girl in uh, with a shador on her head. And I really don't care what you or I or Joe Schmoll or uh, Yakir understands by the word jihad. I want to understand it according to how Muhammad used it and discussed it and commanded it and how he lived it out. Now, remember how the uh, the cartoon uh, controversy and they murdered the cartoonists and everything in, in uh, Denmark? Remember that? Mm-hmm. Now, where does that come from? Well, of course, I know the Hadith. The Hadith give us the, the true history of Muhammad. In one case, uh, the Muslims, uh, before they used prayer rugs, uh, would get down on the dust and they would pray by touching their forehead to the dirt. Now, of course, that left dirt or dust on their forehead. So there okay. was an old merchant who was watching them. And he thought this is the most ridiculous thing he ever said. And so he put some dirt. They got up and he put some dirt in his hand and rubbed it on his forehead and said, you see, I'm just as righteous as you. So they ran to Muhammad like kids. This man mocked us. He ridiculed us. Do you know what Muhammad said? Go Kill him. 
slit his throat from ear to ear. In other words, in the Hadith, anyone who ridicules Islam, anyone who ridicules Muhammad, be a cartoon, a movie, or whatever, they must be killed. That is Sharia law, which is also just a part of jihad. Yeah, explain. We've kind of touched on it a little bit, but explain Sharia. Well, uh, again, in my book, Islamic Invasion, <laughs> and Dr. Uh, ben Carson, who was running for president, uh, I know that we sent him a copy of my book, and he must have read it, because he got into all kinds of trouble when a person asked, what is Islam? He said, Islam is not simply a religion. It's a political program. It's a cultural thing. <laughs> it has to do with civil laws and stuff. Well, that's right out of my book. And you see, when people say, well, what do you think about the religion of Islam? I usually say, one, there is no such thing. Uh, there are many different conflicting. The Wahhabist is different from the uh, Muslims of the Aga Khan and the Sufi, uh, from the Shia, from the on and on and on it goes. But uh, one must remember that various Islamic groups and they all contradict each other to the point that they murder each other, feel they have a right to organize society. For example, one group can say, you may not eat any pork products from pigs or swine flesh. Now, President Obama gave the rule that in the federal prisons, no longer... Can prisoners enjoy bacon or pork chop or ham? So effectively, I hope whoever's the next president lifts that ban. Prisoners are forced to eat according to Muslim diet laws called the halal. Now, even Subway in heavily Muslim communities, there have been attacks on their stores and they will, Muslims will rush in, which is jihad, and say, you are not allowed to use ham or bacon in your sandwiches. Now, instead of being red-blooded Americans and telling these jihadists to get the heck out of here and boot them out of the subway shop, they sniveled like little girls, and they are beginning to remove bacon and ham from Subway sandwiches. Now, I wish the Christians then would come in and with loud, I want my bacon. I have a constitutional religious right to eat bacon. Same thing with the prisoners in jail. Why aren't they suing that the ban on bacon is cruel and unusual punishment? <laughs> I would think so. Life is better with bacon. <laughs> Absolutely. But I guess uh, being in prison isn't supposed to be fun. But yeah, at the same time, we shouldn't be cowing down to these these uh, religious beliefs. We shouldn't no, be cowing down to Islam. People are so cowards. Yeah. And see, Sharia law means women do not have equal rights or equal standing before the law. Let's say a woman is raped. She goes to the police 
And she said, Mustafa raped me. Do you have any witnesses who were standing there while you were raped? Because the witness of a woman is equal to only half of a man. Mustafa says, you want a dick. Therefore, we're going to beat you with bamboo canes. So if you're raped, you do not have equal standing. When your parents die, you can only get half of the inheritance your brother gets. Uh, women are not allowed to drive a car. They're not allowed to vote. You cannot leave the house without written permission. Uh, you may not let your head be uncovered. And by the way, that's a funny thing when I debate Muslims. Where in the Quran are women told to wear veils? They're not. The Sharia law in... of these laws come out of the Hadith, not the Quran. But it's all right. kinds of civil laws that regulate what you eat, how you do sex, how you dress. Most Western people resent the fact of someone telling them, you may not wear that dress, you may not... You see, these are the police, Sharia police, who cruise the shopping malls, and then if they see a girl whose skirt is too low to their taste, they beat her and take her to prison. That's <laughs> the reality of Sharia law. Now, is that creeping into our culture right now here in the U.S.? Of course it is. Matter of fact, uh, one of the Muslim judges appointed by Obama uh, down in Texas has already said, in judging Muslims, we must take into account their culture that is Sharia law so that we might understand and have compassion for what they're doing. So in other words, if you take your little girl to a backroom butcher who with a knife cuts her clitoris out, which is child abuse, mutilation, mm -hmm. Uh, you're not to punish that father. We understand that in Muslim culture, in order to prevent women from having pleasure uh, while having intercourse, if we cut the clitoris away, then there's no incentive for them to cheat on their husband because they don't get any pleasure out of it. Now, where are the... Where are the uh, Women, the feminazis, why aren't they marching in the street? Because any religion will do except Christianity. Yeah, yeah, I'm convinced of that. I, we've seen it over and over. And you see that as far as, uh, you know, Christian bakers who refuse to bake a cake for a same-sex uh, marriage, they're not given the same consideration. Oh, well, they're just expressing their their religious views. They don't want to use their artistic the talents. The Muslim bakers are not called into court and persecuted like the Christian bakers. Fascinating. And so the Christians are not being treated equally before the law and are not getting equal access to the law or standing before the law. And see, so this will ultimately lead to the persecution of Christians for simply being a Christian. <laughs> now, I'm old. 
you're young, I will probably <laughs> have exited and shuffled off the stage of life before this happens. But I'm sorry, Michael, you may have to face an America where having a Bible is a criminal offense because the Bible teaches things that offends people. <laughs> that churches must remove their crosses off their steeples, that you are not allowed to celebrate Christmas in public. You can't put a Christmas decoration on your front because it offends someone. Now, if they put out Muslim decorations for Ramadan, who cares if it offends you? And you see, we're right. fast approaching where Mark Stein has written a number of books on this, uh, particularly dealing with the death of America, the end of America, which was banned in Canada, just like my book, Will Islam Destroy World War III? My book was banned in Canada, and we had to smuggle it in in a van over the bridge at Niagara Falls. That's the only way we got that book into pastors. We had to smuggle it. Now, why was it banned? Because a Muslim said, that book offends me and hurts my feelings. I don't care if it hurts his feelings. Their teaching hurts my feelings. Well, that doesn't matter, you're saying. Uh, Canada's further down the road. Uh, about 20 years ago, there was a pastor who was arrested for hate crime because he passed out tracts against Islam. We were the only ministry in the United States that financially supported him. I went up for the trial. I raised the money. And uh, I couldn't get any other ministry to help us for one dime. In Canada, the church has said, well, he got what he deserved. How dare he go and hand out tracts? that offended Muslims by telling them Allah is a false god, Muhammad a false prophet, etc., etc. Now, he lost. He lost. He was judged by the magistrate. His punishment, he had to attend religious services at the local mosque. Now, you could imagine if a judge told a Muslim he had to go to Christian services at a local church. Right, right, well, or an atheist. When he told me that he had to go to the uh, mosque, I said, great. He said, great. I said, yes, great. Go and object. Shout out, lie. Make yourself completely and completely an odious exhibition where you're disrupting, saying it's a lie. Well, Pretty soon, the head of the mosque went back to the judge and said, we can't have this man. You've ordered him to be in the mosque, and he keeps saying that what we're saying is a lie. We cannot. All right, well, then uh, 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 we commute that. He doesn't have to do it. Um, but the ruling still uh, states that it is a hate crime to speak against Islam. Now, meanwhile, when we prepared his defense, we had all the literature attacking Christianity published by the Muslims in Canada. The woman magistrate, their version of... Here's what she said. Hate crimes 
cannot be committed against a majority religion, but only against minority religions. Since Christians are the majority in Canada, you can attack them, ridicule them, and vilify them, and it's not a hate crime. But if you do it to a minor religion like Islam or Hinduism, then it is a crime. Do you see hmm. why Hillary Clinton said we ought to have Canadian laws? Oh, see, it, oh boy. it made my blood boil. Mm-hmm. Suddenly your shoes are off your feet and they're flying across the room at the TV. <laughs> well, I, I would have gone after that judge and thrown my shoe against her. Because <laughs> here's the point. Christians are fastly losing their rights. They don't have equal justice before the law, equal standing before the law, but they are denied their civil rights. And this is why the average low-information evangelical in this church is more concerned about how high their steeple is, worship services, bringing in a new Christian band, I love you, Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't understand they're dodo birds. The day will come when it will be illegal. It will be against the law. And it will be too late to protest because even protesting them is going to be illegal. So protest now. Jesus said, work while it is day. But the night is coming when no one can work. God help us. Um, we do hear from the so-called Muslim, the moderate Muslim community, uh, that it's a religion of peace. But do you ever hear moderate Muslims denouncing Sharia? No, and they will not denounce Muhammad either. They will not denounce the jihad according to the Quran and the Hadith. That's why um, the tricks that Muslims do are very, very... Uh, is Islam a religion of peace? Well, the trick is there is no such thing as the religion singular of Islam. There are many different groups. The one uh, of the Saudis is called Wahhabism, a particular violent, murderous cult within Islam. Now, or they do little things. Uh, here's a goodie. Uh, the meaning of the word Islam, Islam Salam, peace. You see, it means peace. Islam does not mean peace. It means submit. Submit. That is, if you will not accept what I'm teaching you, then you still must submit to my rules how to live. <laughs> That's yeah, why no. it's against uh, Sharia law to ask questions. When Muhammad was asked questions, he would get angry. I document this. Out of the Quran of the Hadith, he would get red in the face. He would say, Allah hates you for asking questions. Matter of fact, in Surah 25, we read, do not ask questions. For some in the past, having asked questions, lost their faith in Islam. Therefore, do not look too closely into these things. 
That's mm. why Muslims get upset when you say, where did Allah come from? What did Muhammad teach concerning jihad? Did, was Muhammad a white man who bought and slow, sold black slaves? So Islam is the white slaver religion? And you ask questions. They get very upset because it is against Sharia law to ask questions. You must simply submit and accept it by the point of a sword. Hmm. So, so many Christians within evangelicalism, like, you know, you're saying these low information believers uh, have made a lot of inroads as far as making alliances with Islam. What types of ecumenical like spiritual enterprises have been going down as far as, you know, people like Rick Warren and others trying to link arms with Islam uh, and, and basically declare that it's one in the same faith, that we both worship the same God? Well, according, the root is ignorance, um, that the God of the Bible says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So Allah, Shiva, Krishna, Brahman, Baal, Moloch, whoever, whatever, you are not to worship them, but only Yahweh, the God of Israel, Baruch Hashem, and Yeshua HaMashiach. And you see, they're ignorant. So when Paul said, when the Gentiles worship their gods, they're worshiping demons. Now you see, that would be so politically to say Allah is a demon God. That's what was taught in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, both. And I explain this and develop it in my book on the Trinity, but the low-information evangelical never picks up a Bible. Matter of fact, a friend of mine, David Hawking, sat uh, Sunday morning during the different services in front of Rick Warren's church, Saddleback, and he and his friend counted how many times People got out of the car and carried a Bible into the church. Five Zero? Or, <laughs> five or six people out of thousand people attending the church took a Bible. Wow. No one else bothered. Why? Well, you don't need a Bible. Is there going to be any exposition of Scripture like John MacArthur or I used to do? No. What are you going to have? Marketing schemes, pep talks, emotional little studies. Bob loves you, and all is well. They give virtually the kind of sermon given by the pastor of the Simpsons in the cartoons. <laughs> and see, these low-information Christians go to these churches because they're successful. They have a smoking room. Uh, you know, when the uh, different athletic events are happening, they'll even have rooms in the church with big screen TV. So you can watch uh, your favorite football team while you can hear a little bit of the sermon, which, of course, oh. is a waste. But anyway, you know, I love the fact that when I pastored it for 40 years, 
people brought their Bibles to church, I always said, bring your Bible and your brain. If you're Bibleless and brainless, I'm not interested in you. There's the exit. <laughs> and people said, you're turning people away. I said, I am turning people away. If they're brainless and Bibleless, I don't want them in my church. It's a privilege to sit here. I just received in the mail my syllabus. When I preached to the book, of Philippians, we produced a spiral-bound syllabus in which people would come every week, and we studied the book of Philippians word by word based on the Greek New Testament, and we went deep, deep, deep into God's Word. Now, mm. I'm sorry to say that no one took my place at that church. I had to retire due to health, two strokes. And uh, they got a pastor um, who wasn't capable of expository preaching. And then nobody bothered to take a Bible. No one bothered to take notes. No one asked for a syllabus. We sold thousands and thousands of tapes and uh, later CDs of the sermons. Well, in the average church today, no one brings a Bible, and no one takes notes, and no church produces. See, if the pastor isn't saying anything, is any gonna, anybody going to bother recording it and selling it? No. So that's where we are today. Low-information pastors who were very educated in marketing schemes and low-information Christians who were suckers born every minute. I call it, uh, these are drive-by churches with fast food sermons that give people spiritual diabetes and they are spiritually blind. So you drive yeah. to this church and you get some junk food, which is that crazy sermon, and it's full of sugar and trash, and thus God's people have spiritual diabetes, and that's why they're blind. Right, right. You know, and I've been in these churches firsthand um, for about a year after leaving the hyper-charismatic movement, so I was still very young in my faith, my wife and I attended a vineyard church. Um, started by John Wimber, but it was a, a vineyard yeah. up in Loveland, Colorado. It was a mess. Nobody, we were the only ones that ever brought a Bible to church. Um, they would once in a while flash a scripture up on the screen, uh, but it was usually something like the message translation. So you didn't even know what the heck you were looking at. It was, well, it was a see, mess. In that cult, when they had the Kansas City Prophets. I'm very much aware of that cult and John Wimber. His qualification was that he was a, a popular entertainer and singer. So what, what was he with? The Carpenters? I forget what it was. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, who was a baboon when it came to the Bible. And it attracted thousands of people because it was exciting. It had music. And you never learned anything. And what little bit you did learn was heretical. That's why Walter Martin called the Vineyard Movement a cult. 
and oh, have I taken a beat. How dare you say that? I don't care. It's like a, a, in the Evangelical Theological Society, I was the chairman of the membership committee, voted in by the membership for many years, and I began to throw people out for heresy. So uh, Robert Gundry, I arranged a heretical trial, and we threw him out because he said that Matthew was a fictional novel and that, in reality, there were, there were no shepherds, there was no star of Bethlehem. All of this stuff is a fraud. It's myth. It's legend. It never happened. So we got rid of it. Now, I'll never forget, um, I said, this is heretical. And this very emotional young pastor stood up, weighed about 300 pounds, and he started crying. How dare you say that against a brother in Christ, calling him a heretic? That is the meanest thing I ever heard. I eventually had to leave the Evangelical Theological Society. I resigned because I was told you are not allowed anymore to throw out the non-evangelicals because it's giving us a bad reputation among the liberals. Uh. I said, if you're not going to discipline these people, come down and join the membership, you have to sign a statement that you believe in the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture in the original autographs. Mm-hmm. The guy signing it, like Clark Clinton, they give an example, openly in speech and in writing, says, I do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. But he comes down and he signs the statement. I wanted to prosecute these people. Liars, hypocrites, thieves, taking evangelical money, denying evangelical things. I was told, oh no, we're not going to allow you to do it. So I quit, walked out. It's Gordon Clark, a good friend of mine, said, the only heresy today is to say there is such a thing as heresy. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Well, we're talking about Islam, and to say that Islam is not a religion of peace is the heresy. To say that uh, Allah is not the same God is a heresy. To say that, oh, Muslims respect and believe in Jesus, and but the Jesus, who was not the Son of God, who did not die on the cross, was not resurrected, and he's not a Savior. That ain't my... I, a Jesus I know. Muhammad's Jesus I don't know. It is not the same Jesus. Oh, yeah, you know, uh, so wrapping up, tell me about... You've got this DVD, Jihad According to the Quran and the Hadith. Tell me oh, about yeah. that. Well, I gather together scholars... Um, some from the Orthodox Church, other evangelicals, who were courageous and who would say, based on sound scholarship, that jihad is not only the jihad of the pen and the mouth and uh, not drinking uh, a beer and having some ribs. Jihad, according to Muhammad, in the Quran and the Hadith and the historians, means to attack, rob, rape, enslave, and murder 
non-Muslims for no other reason that they're not Muslims. Period. And when you watch this video, you will be astounded. It should be played in every church, every college, every seminary. It is so well documented in my books with footnotes. There's no way around it. So the answer, um, you have various uh, Christian apologists, James White comes to mind, who in collusion with the Muslims would say, Maury is stupid. Uh, Maury's arguments are dumb. Now, does he prove that my arguments about jihad and stuff are dumb? No, he just says they're dumb. They're stupid. Don't believe him. Don't believe him about Allah not being the same. Don't believe about the moon god. Well, you have so-called Christian apologists. And here's the key, Michael. When you search to see where did... These apologists, Moreland, Craig, Geisler, Winberg, other, other, these so-called Christian apologists, where do they get their arguments for the existence of God? Now, Bill Craig, at least, is honest enough to give us the Islamic lane, the Kalam argument, K-A-L. A-A-M, Kalam. Now, mm. did you ever happen to look at an, an encyclopedia? Where did the Kalam argument come from? I did not, but it sounds like it comes from Islam. It comes from Islam. Matter of fact, it was the famous Muslim scholars, such as Ali Ghazali, who developed these arguments to prove the existence of Allah. They were picked up by Thomas Aquinas and sprinkled with a few Jesus words, to use the description of Francis Schaeffer. Now, if the arguments you are using to prove the existence of the Christian God are the same arguments used by the Muslims to prove the existence of Allah, can you logically say they are different gods if they use the same arguments. <laughs> so you then must, like Geisler, say that Allah and the God of the Christians, well, it's essentially the same God. Because you're using Muslim apologetics, therefore you must go along with some of the Muslim stuff. By the way, in my book on natural law, natural theology, I don't know if you've read that book yet. I have not. You should tell my listeners about it. We talked about it a little bit offline last well, time, and sounds amazing. Well, the Bible, natural law, natural theology is compromise or conflict. Today, Norman Geisler, William Lane Craig, uh, Giatma Moreland, uh, you named them uh, Michael Horton, all of these so-called Christian apologists today are not like the apologists of the last generation, Francis Schaeffer, Gordon Clark, Emilius Van Til, on and on I could name. The difference is this, and Geisler in his book on Thomas Aquinas expressed it. He said, I have come out of the closet now that these 
older apologists have died. I've come out of the closet, and I now admit I am a Thomas. I am a follower of Thomas Aquinas, the Roman Catholic apologist. Now, Schaefer would have rolled over his grave. Gordon Clark would have rolled over. Gresham Machen. Historically, evangelicals rejected homistic philosophy and apologetics as warmed-over pagan Aristelian. Nothing more than the pagan teachings of Aristotle dressed up in Catholic garb. And this hmm. new generation accepts Thomas. Now, the immediate results, the best, the brightest students of Geisler, for example, Frank Beckwith, he became a Roman Catholic. In other words, you see their students becoming Roman Catholics. Well, if you taught them Roman Catholic philosophy and theology, what else do you think would happen? They become Roman Catholics. So in my book, I named the names. I named the schools, the seminaries, and Talbot, and Biola, and West. I named the professors. Now, here's the professor at Westminster. Now, you've got your thinking. Is your brain in gear, Michael? Okay, is your <laughs> I'm brain trying. I'm going to ask you a question. Imagine that you hear they have hired a new professor. He was also teaching at a Roman Catholic seminary. He is a graduate of Notre Dame and Catholic of teaching. His books are published by the Catholics. And he was given money by the Catholic foundations to write his books promoting natural law, natural theology, which says sola scriptura is wrong. The Bible is not the final authority. Nature is. Common sense. The book of nature is more important than the book of scripture. So this guy is educated Catholic. He teaches in a Catholic school. His articles and books are published by Catholic publishers and journals. He receives money from the Catholics. And now he's teaching at a Presbyterian seminary, and he's teaching the kiddies Thomistic natural law natural theology. When I pointed out that this was happening, the response was, oh, that's ridiculous. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, he graduated from Roman Catholic education. Yes, he does teach at Notre Dame or whatever. But that has nothing to do with what he teaches. Hmm. Did someone IQ just drop 50 points? Right. So right now, now today, J.P. Moreland stood up at the Evangelical Theological Society and said, the Bible is not the final authority in doctrine and morals. We evangelicals must stop studying the Bible. Instead, we need to start studying the Greek philosophers. You can uh, email the evangelical... You can get his lecture which is a, an attack on sola scriptura. The basis of the Reformation was the Bible. 
is the final authority. Not you, not me, not the Pope, not supposed mythological thing out there called nature, which I prove. The Oxford Dictionary gives 114 different definitions of the word nature. Nobody can define it. So when I challenge Geisler and Moreland, when I challenge these people, define the word nature. Not one of them has dared to define it. So Francis Schaeffer said the humanists, the religious humanists will take over apologetics. They will use words to psychologically manipulate people but refuse to define them. So free will, nature, these things are waved like banners at a football team. Go, go, go. Free will, free will. And when you say, well, the noun will, the adjective free, would you please define? Uh, 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 no, that's a waste of time to define it. Yes, go, go, go. Free will, free will. Go, go, go. And they rally around the flag, boys. Rally around the flag. They won't define their terms because they can't. If you believe in nature, can you believe, can you bring me nature in a box and let me weigh it? No, but can you bring me a Bible and put it in my hand? Yeah, absolutely. Natural theology and natural law is one man's personal prejudices dressed up as a universal absolute. That's all. Hmm. But this book, according to John Frame and many theologians, will be viewed as the definitive work on apologetics in the 21st century. I refute the arguments for God and Christianity given by Moreland and Craig and Geisler. I show that they're fallacies, every single one of them. What you end up with is something less than the God of the Bible. You end up with Allah. You end up with Baal. You end up with Zeus. And I'm sorry. If a taxi drops me one mile short of the airport, I do He's not, not getting a tip. <laughs> I don't need to pay that taxi man. And it was not successful. Any argument for some God less than the God of the Bible is a fraud. It is called the Bible, natural law, natural theology, conflict, or compromise. It is now the most hated book in apologetics and the most feared book. When professors see it, they run for the other. They don't want students. When they see students with that book, I've heard reports, they say, get that book out of here. They can't answer it. They can't refute it. I am like the boy who said, the emperor has no clothes. And these apologetics have no Christianity. They are humanists. And they are excellent at deceiving the Christian community. It, it needs to be said. This stuff needs to get out. Um, well, you know, when someone tells you that the final authority for truth and morals is your own reason, experience, and feelings, and not the Bible. When it is so-called nature and not 
the Bible. You need to head for the nearest exit and run from your life because that is the ultimate heresy of dethroning God and putting man on the throne instead. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Dr. Mori, uh probably should cut it short here. We've gone a little long, but it has been, once again, an honor to have you on the show. It's been a pleasure. I, I know that my listeners have learned so much. I've learned some new things as we've been going through here today, and um, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, I love you, dear brother. You keep the light shining, and uh, they can go to www.faithdefenders.com, faithdefenders.com. Uh, they can purchase my books, my audios, my theological journals. Um, they can purchase these. They can read it. Everything is documented. I mean, I cross the T's and dot the lines. Nobody can accuse me that I am not telling the truth. They just accuse me that I should not have told the truth. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah, absolutely. And and friends, yes, faithdefenders.com. Uh there is so many good resources there. Yes, you can uh get a link into the Faith Defenders shop. Um all of his books, as far as I can tell, there's a lot of books in here that we can get to. Over uh, over 60 books and uh, I mean, but you can also go to Logos, so Logos Bible mm -hmm. books. They gathered all of my material and have made them to electronic downloads. You can buy the works of Robert Morey on the Logos Library, download it to your computer. You can bring up my books on the Trinity or Natural Law, whatever. You can do searches. Uh, what did Morey say about Isaiah 1? What did Morey say about J.P. Moreland? There it is. Download <laughs> electronically, one price, and you get all my books. Wow, now I'm going to have to look into that. The older generation wants paper. The older generation wants to hold the book. My children say, oh, Daddy, that day is off. We just download books on our Kindle. No one buys books anymore. Well, we're making them available to those who are electronically savvy. Download them. So students have gone into seminary class with their laptop, had my book out of the logo, Scholar's Faction, then raised their hand and asked the professor questions based upon my work and had told me that the, the professor is stumped, stupefied. Where did you get this information? And when they find out it came from Dr. Mori, they are furious, absolutely furious, because they don't want the light of Scripture to shine upon them for their teaching. <laughs> so let's keep the light burning and keep keep it shining as long as we can until you and I will uh, hopefully share the same uh, jail room, maybe a prison room in some conversation. <laughs> They'll put all the apologists together and we'll be in there for the crime of speaking the truth in love. God help us, you know? Yes, yes. Excellent. Well, thanks, Dr. Mori. 
All righty. God bless, and thank you for having me on your program. It has been an honor. I appreciate it. All right, friends, that was Dr. Maury. Uh, his website uh, is faithdefenders.com. Again, a wealth of resources. There is just alone, if you click on the audio link, go to resources, or is it media? One of the two. <laughs> and click on that, and then click on audio, and you can click on then uh, uh, podcasts and radio, and there's like hundreds of podcasts right there with Dr. Mori and many other special guests. Uh, it, it's just a wealth of good information. It's not just about Islam. Uh, that is just one particular area that uh, he's an expert, okay? He does have a PhD in Islamic studies. So, uh, yes, he has read through the Hadith, which is a, a, a voluminous work. It's a very large work of of or collection of writings. And then, of course, uh, he's read the Quran over and over and over and has done extensive research in that. So he is an expert in that area, but he also speaks on a great many other uh, subjects, as we've already started to see a little bit today. Yes, again, uh, he is a little critical of some of those within the fold of Christianity. Again, we're not questioning anybody's salvation here, uh, but uh, let's face it, there are many Christians who are within the camp who are actually doing a great disservice uh, to the faith, uh, compromising on a great many things, and uh, it it really is hurting us. And so uh, I, I get it. I get it. And these types of things need to be brought out in the open. Iron sharpens iron. And uh, when this type of stuff is going on, we need to know about it. We need to address it. So uh, anyway, with that, I'm going to stop right there. I love you guys. And we'll see you next week. Sing it out loud.